Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name's Adam Listek, a web developer out of Northern California and Central Illinois. And today we want to talk about security, uh, specifically uh, server security or VPS security. And by VPS, I just mean virtual private server. Um, but at this point in time, really, you know, any cloud server or any, any, you know, specifically in this case, Linux and definitely skewed towards the Ubuntu side. Um, but obviously in a 15 minute or so podcast, you know, I can't hit on everything to do with security as it's a huge topic and a huge field. But I did kind of want to go through some of what, you know, I do for my servers, uh, ways to, you know, just run down a list, either a number of checkboxes of basic security items and things you should do. Um, a couple things, you know, of lessons learned um, and just kind of a general overview of when securing stuff, uh, servers and or anything in particular, you know, make sure you're doing things in a consistent and um, auditable manner. So I, I kind of wanted to break things into a few different parts. Uh, configurations, tools, and then some monitoring. Um, and honestly, there is a lot that can be said about any one of these particular sections. Um, but, you know, really kind of focusing on the security aspect of just your, like, say I spun up a new server, new Ubuntu server, and I, I just wanted to make sure that at a base level I'm securing it uh, enough that, you know, it's not going to be immediately hacked. Um, uh, the big thing about security that no matter what, though, is you, you have to keep an eye on it. And, and it's a really hard thing to do. I mean, especially if you start spawning into the hundreds of servers or, you know, in some cases, especially with the container ecosystem, making sure you're monitoring all of these myriad of things. And really, it generates a ton of data, a ton of logs. You know, and I, I'm not saying I have it perfect either. I'm continuously trying to figure out, well, what is relevant? You know, what do I need to pay, you know, pay attention to? And, you know, if I am being attacked, well, and pretty much every server is being attacked at any given time, but like if I am being successfully attacked, what do I have to look for to at least tell me as quickly as possible that something went wrong? So we're just going to start simple, you know, with the kind of basic configurations, especially as I spin up a new server and think about, well, what are the first steps? And something to keep in mind with all of this is that really you should be automating this in some fashion you know as you've probably gathered from prior episodes if you've been listening that you know i'm a big fan of ansible uh, it just makes my life easy it's easy to understand and i can easily you know send the same number of conf you know uh, playbooks to a number of different servers but really anything works for this um you could use cloud in it uh that you know just a script that's very similar to Ansible in some ways using YAML. Uh, when you spin up the server, do a number of things. Um, Chef, Puppet, Salt, 
um, take your pick. You know, there's a lot out there. But, um, you know, just running down the list, you know, the first thing to kind of look at is your users. Uh, by default, you'll end up with a root user. Well, you should make sure that you have a pseudo user and then you disable root, or at least disable directly logging in as root. Um, so, you know, what this just means is that you're kind of at least removing uh, the ability to run, you know, dangerous commands or root commands, you know, at least immediately upon login. So if someone were to compromise your, you know, SSH key or, you know, somehow get into your server, at least maybe they're a, a, a bit more limited of a, a shell. Um, but, you know, that is one of the first things you should do. Um, and to kind of go along with, you know, pseudo, and there's not too much to be said about that, but to kind of go along with it, you know, it's when you're configuring SSH. So when you configure SSH, you're going to want to make sure that you, you know, disable root from logging directly in. Um, and at a minimum, using a public-private key, you know, preferably with a password. Um, but, of course, you probably will end up with some service accounts that you might you know, have to use without a password, but still use a uh, public private key setup because, you know, you can revoke keys if something happens. Um, if, you know, you're not, it's it's a bit more secure than, a you know, just a password by itself. But, you know, generally speaking, use a public private key with a password uh, because oftentimes in those automation systems too, you can, you know, add a password to use with the key and use that to authenticate across. So it's just one extra bit of um, um, extra layer of security there. Uh, you know, the other thing to do is, if you're able to, is uh, add on two-factor authentication. Um, so there is a PAM module uh, called libpam-google-authenticator. And, you know, there's others, but this is a pretty common one. And what it'll let you do is basically set up um, two-factor, you know, using a number of different ways, but generally using the uh, time base. So every 30 seconds you get a new code. And you can use this with, you know, the Google Authenticator app or Authy. I'm a big fan of Authy. Um, so you can use this. And then by virtue of limiting the types of authentication factors that SSH can use, perhaps adding two-factor on, and then using a pseudo-user um, instead of allowing root direct access, you should hopefully very much limit um, what a bad actor is able to get to and what they are able to do. Um, next thing you really should do, or, you know, it, the order of things, that they're all about the same time, um, but make sure you have a firewall turned on. Um, I, you know, it's one thing I've noticed is, you know, the f number of people of I've seen out there don't run firewalls, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, because they're pretty darn easy to set up, and you generally just don't need to have many ports going in or out, um, especially if you got a web server. I mean, you know, really it's, you know, port 80, 443, uh, maybe 53 for DNS sometimes, and then your SSH port. You know, and with SSH, change the uh, port that it listens on. Make it something completely non-standard. You know, it's one way to, you know, I know security through obfuscation, but at the same time, every little bit helps. 
Um, and so a one firewall tool I like is UFW. Uh, it stands for uncomplicated firewall. And it really is just a wrapper around IP tables, but it's really easy to use, um, kind of makes it uncomplicated, you know, hence the name. And it, it's something that you can pretty easily audit. Um, so I definitely recommend using that. It, I'm not sure all of the arch- you know, all the different flavors of Linux it's uh, available for, but you know, Ubuntu it works well. Uh, so it, it's a good those three steps. Even if those are the three that you use by themselves, will go a long way towards limiting access to your system, making sure that if somebody does get in there, it's not too bad. And, you know, hopefully with some additional monitoring, you'll be able to pretty quickly figure out what's going on. Um, There's a couple other random little things. Um, One thing I picked out from my configuration is uh, the securing of shared memory. Uh, You know, so basically there is, you know, this temp, uh, or no, dev SHM, I believe it is, uh, well, shared memory space. Um, or maybe temp. It's hard to say. Hard <laughs> to remember at the moment. But basically, you can mount this area as a no no exec, no suid, and you know read only, so that if you're on a shared cloud hosting platform, like a lot of us are, uh, you know it's an extra security measure, so that since you are sharing memory essentially on these servers, that you know is one less area that could potentially be of um, an attack surface. So now to be honest, I've never, you know, really seen too many issues with something like that, but you know, it, it hasn't impacted the security uh, or the stability of my system so far or any of my systems. And I've run it for a long time. So it's worth exploring to make sure, um, you know, there's and something to kind of go along. And the reason I shared that one and then the next one, which is, there was a recommendation I've seen out there for a long time, and it, it's basically setting up this no spoof option on a host.conf file. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is that it seems to be like one of those best practices that from a long time ago. And it took a lot of investigation on my part to actually figure out one, you know, what was the purpose of it, you know, and is it actually relevant today? And so the end result of that investigation was probably not, you know, I I couldn't truly find anyone that was saying or, you know, figure out if it was like, this is really going to make a difference. And the reason being is that that no spoof option was preventing spoofing to, you know, enhance the security of our logon on RSH. But really, SSH at this point in time should be used in neither one of those. And although it can be turned on, it won't have much effect. And kind of what was happening is that you were setting this no spoof and then changing the order of your host.conf file to do some resolution for resolving services. And basically it was in, the idea was that if you had a bad entries in the host file and you use bind, then try bind first. But most of the time right now, one, you might not have bind. Two, nsswitch.conf is now generally used for routing. So none of this really made much sense. But it's just an example of saying here is something that 
in all reality, was a best practice at one point in time, but might not be anymore. Um, you know, and I would like to learn more about those kind of things, that one in particular, but it, it really doesn't appear to be something you need. And so it's an example of saying, even though everybody says use this or use that, do some investigation. Try to figure out, one, why was it put in, in the first place? And two, is it even necessary anymore? So it's definitely worth checking out, you know, especially all of these. You know, even the stuff I'm putting out there, although I'm the things specifically I'm highlighting are pretty high level, and I'm pretty sure that most, you know, security folks would echo that these are all positive measures you can do. But definitely, you know, check claims, make sure it makes sense for your environment too. So kind of moving on um, to some tools that you can use on your server. You know, running antivirus, at least for a daily check, is a great idea. Um, you know, I use ClamAV. Nothing terribly fancy, but it works. Um, you know, I, I would love to hear other suggestions because I haven't seen too many. But basically, I have it set to scan and make sure that, you know, there's no obvious viruses present. Um, you know, RK Hunter and Check Rootkit are two rootkit-type scanning tools. Uh, I do run both. Um, there's often false positives in them that you need to kind of double check on, um, but it's it's definitely worth. It. I mean, better safe than sorry. It does take a little bit extra work to kind of you know grip through those and kind of make sure that you know what you're seeing is or isn't an actual problem, but definitely worth checking out. Uh, fail to ban. Uh, I like this one a lot. Basically, it you know watches. Um, logins and watches uh, those kind of things and then bans repeated entries or you know IP addresses are trying to abuse the system um, so pretty simple to configure uh, but well worth it so you know if there's bad actors attempting to get in at least after a predetermined amount of time or attempts they'll at least be banned temporarily or permanently uh, Linus is another one that recently I've been using to, or playing around with it's really just a general toolkit for some security monitoring. You get a um, like daily digest email essentially of after its scan, or you can configure it that way. And it just kind of runs down the list of things that you know it found, or you know, hey, these are places that system you know that um, outside systems are scanning or checking in on your system, and you should probably pay attention to. So. The final section I wanted to kind of touch on was monitoring. You know, there's a lot to this, but a few things. Uh, you know, log monitoring. You know, basically putting the logs somewhere, backing them up so you can search in them later, especially if you have to figure out what happened. Um, if you have a place to send them, uh, that's great. I use Logly, and I just use their free plan because I don't have a ton of systems, um, and it's enough for me to work with and... It does allow up to 200 megs of logs a day, which, you know, especially if you're controlling how much stuff gets logged, is very easy to stay under. Um, file monitoring, in terms of that, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do this. Um, I've been trying to see if I can just, at a simple level, get FSWatch to do it, where I can pipe the results to a log and send, like, a um, digest email on it. Just say, hey, these are things that have changed, but still trying to figure out the best way to do it. 
Um, RK Hunter actually does that a tiny bit for specific files, notably executables. But of course, if you upgrade stuff, you know, things will change. But part of that is just keeping you aware that, all right, did what you mean to do actually um, is actually what happened. Uh, you know, the other two things I want to briefly touch on as I'm getting to the end of this here is that if you use postfix on your system um, or really any email sending or monitoring or sending inbound or outbound system is that you should keep an eye on it and mostly so that if for some crazy reason you get compromised you aren't basically a spam uh you know sender and that you're not being used for that uh, it's a good way to quickly get your reputation tanked in terms of whatever you know um, system you might be sending through or dealing with and you know, I don't actually run inbound email or anymore. I used to, but and do email serv you know services, but I, I try not to anymore. So I really just use it for outbound, you know. And I send my stuff through a, a sending service called Mailgun because uh, it does allow up to like ten thousand emails a month. And frankly, I'm not sending that many. Uh, so, but it's allowing me to basically track and monitor and keep all this stuff, and that does bring me to my kind of final point is watch your email sending service because if all of a sudden a key gets compromised or like an API key or something and someone will try to send as much as possible through that as quickly as possible. So definitely something to keep an eye on. So this comes to the end. Uh, there is a lot more I could talk about, but I'm, I'm hoping this is kind of a real brief, good general overview, you know, on various technologies and ideas, you know, and base level of things to, you know, make sure your system is doing, make sure you're secure, you know, and this is really just a start. So make sure that you do a lot of research, constantly monitoring your system. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot better than being compromised. So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Let me know what you do for your security and the techniques that you use. So thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next week.